This is Real Love Now, a ministry outreach of Pastor Don Allen in the Church at War Hill. As with every aspect of our ministry, the purpose of this broadcast is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him and His children, and discover your destiny now. Here's the message from Pastor Don Allen. Let's go to Psalms 139. Before we read, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for what you've already accomplished today. God, my inability has screened me today, but I have been blown away by your ability. Open this scripture to us. Change our hearts. Change our lives. And help us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Here in Psalms 139, as we're reaching this stage of the journey, King David focuses on an almighty God. He focuses on a king who is worthy. He focuses on a king who is holy. And he begins to tell God, this is what I know about you, God. He says, I know you're all-knowing. I know you're everywhere. I know you're always present. He says, this is what it's like to be in the presence of an almighty God. And, and, and we're going to focus on verse 1 and 13 today, but, but I just want to read this passage to you. He says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. This is what I know about you, God. God, I know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. How, how awesome is that? Like before you even speak, God knows what you're going to say. But sometimes I wish he would have stopped me. Another sermon, another day. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light becomes night around me. I love this verse number 12. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. How many of you know God's that good? Amen. For the night will shine like the day. For darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now watch this next part here. You ready for this? For your works are wonderful. Come on. Nobody got that. God, you fearfully and wonderfully made me. And your works are good. Look at your neighbor and tell him, I told you I was good. Come on now. You see, the rest of this is not going to make sense to you until you catch this truth. Until you catch the truth that God didn't make a mistake with you. That you're not somehow some cosmic joke. Well, I feel the Holy Spirit as I say that to you. That you're not somehow mistake made by someone. Amen. Amen. I preached that in the second service, and afterwards his dad walked up to me, looked at his son, and said, he was a mistake. I said, I said, ouch. He said, well, I didn't mean for him to be here, but I love him kind of thing. You know, I was like, whoa. But just because somebody on earth thought you were a mistake, 
Your heavenly Father knew and formed you and created you, and it's time for you to learn that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that's what he said, God, all your works are awesome, and I'm one of them. And he said, this I know full well. Now, this is not a message to be arrogant, but it's a message to be grateful. That no matter how broken you feel, that there, there really is a master plan that's for your good. That no matter how weak you may be at times, there, re- there really is a hope for you because God has called you to something better. He has a hope and a future and a plan for your life. Man, I just love preaching when I feel the Holy Spirit of God. Somebody said, Pastor, how many times are you going to say, I feel God, until I no longer feel Him? My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you? Lord, and abhor those in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. We'll get here to this verse in a moment. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Can we just give God a thanks for His Word this morning? Amen. God is good. This is one of the latter psalms that David would write. By the time he writes this psalms, his life is many ways behind him. He can remember being the boy that was rejected because of the impropriety in which he was conceived. Many people, so you'll have the understanding, uh, uh, most historians believe that David was the product of his father taking a, a young slave girl as a concubine, and, 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 and he was conceived. And in many ways, he was an embarrassment to his father in his old age. David came from that, that, that obscure place to being forced out and rejected, not even invited into the family dinners. Then he's called and made king, anointed to be king. And he's not yet king, but he's anointed to be king. And then he's sent back to the sheepfold. Then he's taken to the palace to be the, the, uh, uh, the armor bearer for Saul. And Saul starts trying to kill him. And, and then he runs from there. And as he runs from there, he ends up uh, uh, becoming uh, uh, these, you know, this mighty great general. And then he becomes a fugitive. And, and then he's made king. And then from being king, he's made king over then the whole nation king over two tribes first, then the entire 12 tribes. And he's made king and he reigns for a while. And then suddenly there's a military coup and his son takes over and, and he flees for his life. And then he's brought back. And so at this point, David's, he, he's writing and he's, David says, Lord, this is the one thing I know. This is what I know about you. God, through all that I've been through, this is what I know about you. And this is how he begins. He says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. David says, the one thing I know about you, God, get this, is that you know me. You know me. That God of heaven knows my now. He knows my actions. He knows my thoughts. He knows my words. He knows my past. You've known me from my mother's womb. You know my future. You know me, and yet you still love me. And it's like it shocks him because he says, I know everything that I've been and everything that I've done, and this is what I know about you is you still know me. 
and it meets my needs to know that you know me. Now, what are the basic needs of humanity? Well, we're told that the most basic need of humanity, and, and my wife and I have some disagreement on this, but that the most basic need of humanity is food and water. And why do my wife and I disagree on that? I agree you must have food and water. Without food and water, you can't live. It's just the perspective in our family. We've had a joke going for the 25 years of our marriage that I understand I am loved just behind breakfast. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. I'm, I'm loved. I will say to her, honey, good morning. Her response to me is, I'm hungry. I said to her, do you love food or me more? She said, I could live without you. It's true. <laughs> Y'all think I'm kidding. She said in her head going, he's telling the truth. Because the basic needs of who we are have to be met. Others can't meet all of our basic needs. The second most basic need is that you must have shelter. Shelter from the elements. Shelter. So both of those are very physical in nature. But the third greatest need, psychologists tell us, the third greatest need of mankind the third, and imagine what that would be. Some of you are thinking, well, you've got to have lunch and dinner. Are those are the needs too. That all goes with food and water. But what is the third greatest need? And, it, it, and it's, you would think it's to be loved, but it's not to be loved. The third greatest need is to be known. Everybody needs a place. Some of you can finish this line where everybody knows your name. Everybody needs to know that they're known. There is something about being known that changes who we are. That when you walk into a room, and I, I was away this week at a meeting, and, and there were some people from our church that had, had come to this meeting. I didn't know they were going to be there, but when I walked into this meeting and they were from this church, I immediately walked up to them, not knowing hardly anyone else in the room, and said, don't leave me. I'm sitting with you. I don't know anybody, but I know you. There's a security in knowing that you're known. There's something there that changes that, that moment from awkwardness to be able to, you, you, when you walk into that place and everybody does know your name and people say it's good to see you and they make you welcome because there's something about being known. And, and then we even take it to further, further levels because if somebody knows you and, and knows what a mess you're in and they still want to hang out with you, you call them a friend because they know you. If they know you and know your mess and they still think there's something attractive about you, you call them love. Because they know you and they don't flee in horror. You are known. And here the great psalmist says, the greatest thing I know about God, and I feel him in what I'm saying to you, the greatest thing that I know about God is that God knows who I am and yet he still claims to know me. He knows my junk. He knows my mess. He knows my struggle. He knows my weakness. He knows my failures. He knows all the ways that I've been wrong. He knows all the deceit that I've caused. And yet he still calls me his own. And he loved me enough that he would go to a cross and die for me because he knows me better than I know myself. And he knows I'm worth dying for. He knows me. He knows me. 
And God is saying here, and he says all the different things. God is saying to us the same thing today, that we are known. Somebody said, Pastor Don, why don't you preach a, a relationship sermon on the Sunday before Valentine's? Let me help you with that. If you, here's, This is your good relationship. Guys, don't forget Tuesday's Valentine's, and everything will be okay in your life. Come on now, amen. But there's something greater in place at work here today. There is one whose love transcends little cards and little candies. There's one whose love goes deeper. And when it seems like everybody else has fallen you, he's standing or failed you. He's standing there saying, I will never fail you and I will never leave you because I know you. But God, didn't you make a mistake? You know, my mom had a gift. I'll just tell, I didn't mean to tell this story again, but I'll tell it. Uh, uh, there was this one particular show and it wasn't, it doesn't even compare to today's shows, but there was this one particular show that my mom considered very vulgar. And she told us boys, she said, now look, I'm going out for a while. And she knew what night it was. She said, don't you dare watch that show. What do you think my brother and I did? <laughs> we watched the show. I think the reason I liked the show so much is my dad would laugh so about the show. My mom, I don't, I don't really know how she did it other than she said it was God. We were all there, and the we turned the TV off. House was straight. We looked like we had been busy doing other things. And my mom walked into the house and froze. And then she did this spiritual-looking thing. She kind of stuck her hand toward the TV. How many know what I'm talking about? I mean, Mama's full of the Holy Ghost. Come on, amen. She struck her hand toward the TV, and she said, you watch that television show. And instantly... My sin <laughs> was revealed. <laughs> I'm like, what'd you say, mama? <laughs> I said, you watched that TV show. And I knew from that moment on, I was dead meat because she knew. She didn't stop loving me. I didn't feel real loved while she was correcting me. But she knew and she still loved. He knows. He knows what you did this week. He knows where you went. He knows what you said. He knows what you thought. Amen. This didn't come out in any other service, but let me, can I just say what? I feel like I'm preaching about Santa Claus for a second. And we want to be on the good list. Look, I blew the good list a long time ago. I ended up on the naughty list. But now by His grace, I'm on the save list of Jesus Christ. I mean, we're not... I'm not worried about some guy coming around dropping presents off. I'm looking forward to the day that the one who knows me most descends out of heaven with a shout and I see him face to face. I'm looking forward. See, I know it's not popular to preach that Jesus is coming back anymore, but I really believe that one day there will be a trumpet blast and then those who are dead in Christ will rise and the rest of us will be caught up to be with him in the air. I really believe one day we're going to see the one who knows us most. He doesn't only know your heart. He knows everything about your body. He knows your cravings. He knows what you're going through. For you created my inmost beings. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. How good our God is.
I've got notes here to tell you about all, how awesome and unique our bodies are, how many times our heart beats, how, how there are 300 proteins in our blood that we, we only know what 10 of them actually do, how there's all of these different things. There's 400 separate chemical reactions in your brain that make, make my hand move right now. The fact that I can walk, talk, move my hand, it, it's a masterpiece of God. God knows who we are inside and out. We are designed at the core to be these spiritual beings, to know who God is, and God sees us for who we are. But here's the problem, and I've learned this as a parent. Here's what we do. We defer, we deflect, because we don't want to really acknowledge that God knows. Now, I don't know how many of you had more than, than one child in home at the same time. Do you know? Has anybody ever heard this statement? Let me ask you. It's their fault. Yeah, my brother would antagonize me to the point. I'll never forget one time my dad said to us, said the next time one of you calls each other a fool and my dad's deeply loved Southern phrase, he said, I'm going to wear you out. So my brother started punching me, punching me, said, call me a fool, call me a fool, call me a fool. He hit me for, I forget how long, call me a fool, call me a fool. And finally I looked at him and just called him a fool. And you know what my brother did? Daddy! <laughs> and what did I say? His fault! He made me do it! That's what the next verse that really David comes to says. Listen to what David says. He says, God, you know who I am. You know all about me. You made me. And then he says this. He said, do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? He's talking about the goodness of God. And then he throws this out of nowhere. He goes, don't I hate those who hate you and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Listen to what he says here. He says, God, before he gets to that verse, let me back up. He says, God, wait just a second. <laughs> God, I know you know me, but I'm not as bad as they are. You know me, God. And when everybody else fails, you know I'm still hanging around. I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not like so-and-so. Oh, we would never be like that. I mean, God, I got up and came to church. Did I just say that out loud? I'm sorry. God, I'm not like so-and-so who did this yesterday and they're not even here. Wasn't there some story about that in the New Testament? This guy comes to the altar and he begins to cry out and he says to God, he says, God, I'm a sinner. I've blown it. I've messed up. I've made mistakes. I've struggled. Forgive me. And on the other side of the altar, there's another guy, and he says, God, I made some mistakes, but at least they weren't as bad as his. See what he does? He deflects. And actually, the one version says this. The one version says, he says, I hate those who curse your name. And I, you know, we don't know what God responded to David, but somewhere between that verse and then the 23rd, uh, 23rd and 24th verses there, something changes. Because David stops deflecting. Could it be that God reminded him that at one point in his life, he had done wrong? Could it be that God said, there are millions who curse my name, but now they worship me with holy hands lifted up because I love them because I know them too. 
Because David immediately stops deflecting and he says these words. He says, but oh God, search me. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And I thought that was pretty interesting that he didn't say, forgive me of this sin, this sin, this sin, this sin. He said, God, get to the root of the problem. And I I know I've told you this before, and I promise you I'm going to tell it to you again and again and again as long as I have the opportunity to do so. That God's dealt with my heart because too many times I pray this prayer, forgive me, God. Forgive me. But it's the same phrase that is used when you walk into my office. If it's not clean, I'll say, you'll have to forgive my office. In other words, excuse it. If you come into somewhere and, I, and something happened, oh, it's, you're going to have to excuse this. Because what I'm asking God really to do is to say, God, look past it. Excuse it. And God says, do you really want me to forgive it and wash you clean or do you just want me to excuse it? And David says, look, I can't compare myself to others anymore. I know you know me. I know you've got my number. And God, I don't want you just to excuse my sin anymore. God, would you who knows me search me? I mean, that doesn't even make sense to me. God, you know everything about me, but will you search inside of me so you can know me? Could it be that what he's saying is, God, would you take me on a journey and show me what I'm not even sure about? Could you help clean me out, God? Could you change my life? And I'm not going to preach much longer today, but I want you to get this. He's saying, God, there's areas in my life that I haven't given over to you. I know you know they're there, but would you help me reveal them? Search me. Now, some of us have areas of our lives, and I know it may not be on this side of the room, but I'm just going to preach this side of the room for a moment. Some of us have areas in our lives that we have these blinking lights that say, don't go there, don't go there. Sort of like some children I've raised, if I say don't touch that, they go. And we've set these things up, we're like, God, you can have all of me, but just don't ask me to to forgive that person. God, I give you everything, but don't make me deal with how that person wounded me. God, look, don't you see the don't go there lights? And what does the Bible say? The kingdom of heaven is like a little child. So God goes in and he goes, oh, don't touch that. And he goes straight up to that area. And he says, I know this about you. But guess what? It doesn't disqualify you. It doesn't stop you. He said, I know it. And yet I still love you. And I've chosen you. And I've called you by name. Listen, I want to bring us to the end of this message today. And in all truth, Psalms 139 is, is just an acknowledgement of the truth of the fact that God is known and he knows us. If you, if you can't get that out of this message, then I, I don't know how to be more simpler that God knows us. But God's wanting us to realize he knows what we're trying to hold back from him. I read an article, and it may not minister to you. It has spoken to people in the last two services. And I want to share with you what I read this week and how it it spoke to my heart. There was a missionary named Robert Cummings, a man who left everything behind in a much earlier time than today when there wasn't the communication available, and he moved as a missionary to India. Here's what he wrote. He said, I was in India. And I needed God's presence. He said, I needed to know that every day that God was real. 
It was a tough setting. He's saying that things were not good where I was. He said it was a hard fight in terms of the elements. It was the heat was overwhelming. The poverty was mind boggling. And then there were all the things that I needed. And he said, I prayed and I said this, God, I just need you to overwhelm me with your spirit. God, just pour your spirit out upon me. And to Cummings' shock, as it were, God responded to him. Listen to what God said to him. He said, I want to do it, but I'd like your tennis racket. Your tennis racket? Bob responded, what? God responded again, your tennis racket, Bob. To which Bob said, God, that's the only thing I have left from home. It's the only exercise I get. It's the only thing I do that's not ministry focused. It's, it's the only thing I have that's mine. And you want it? And God said, yes. I just want to know if I can have your tennis racket. So Bob said that night, figuratively and literally, I placed my tennis racket this thing that I enjoyed and was good for me. I put it on the altar, and when I did, the moment that I laid it there, he said I was overwhelmed by his majesty. I was awestruck by his awesomeness, and his grace and his power brought the joy that my soul needed and the peace that my heart, my heart longed for. He said, but then strangely, God gave me back my tennis racket it meant nothing to God but he never gave me back my heart God said Bob I know you the one thing you've not given me is this one simple thing I know what you need I know what you're doing you're holding on to yesterday you're keeping an escape route and he said Bob just give me that and as Bob was willing to give up that one area that he thought he had hidden from God, God gave him everything he needed. So I guess my question is to you, is what's your escape route? What's the one thing that you're holding out? What's the one thing that, that causes you to deflect, that causes you to say, well, God, if I hadn't have done this, if you hadn't have done this, God, I wouldn't have done that and fallen into this sin or, or causes you to think that if I fail at this Christianity thing, then at least I can do this. Or could it be that one thing that soothes your soul instead of the presence of God? What's that one thing that God's saying to you? I know about it. You've not hidden it from me. Give it to me. And I will give you your joy. Stand with me today if you would. A very simple sermon. God knows you. He knows you just the way you are. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God is good. His mercy endures forever. His faithfulness extends to a thousand generations. And He has come here today in the form of His Word 
that I have had the distinct honor to speak to remind us that he knows us just the way we are. He forms you. Some of you, that gives you a reason to praise. It makes you awestruck that the God of heaven knows you and loves you. And that's a reason to praise. If that's you, if you say, Pastor, that just fills my heart with joy. Can I see your hand if that's you? Hands all over this place. You can put your hand down. Some of you, when I say God knows you, you don't know if that's good or if it's bad. You don't know if it's hope or hurt. It causes you to pause, not praise, but to pause. Because if he knows me, then he knows this. This is what the word says. The word says that Jesus said unto them, depart from me because I never knew you. How can the God who knows everything about you say that he never knew you? The reality of that is simple. That he says, you never opened that area of your heart and gave it to me. Where are you that that makes you almost tremble, makes you fear that God might know you the way you really are? Do you want to confess that? And you want to become open to who God is. Uh, has called you to be. If that's you, can I see your hand right where you are? Yeah, hands going up literally all over. Balcony, floor, everywhere. Put those down. Thank you. One last request, and then we're going to pray. And the service is going to be a thing of the past. If you're here today, and you would say, Pastor, I, I'm one of those ones that God would say he never knew because I've never really committed my life to Jesus Christ. I've never really surrendered my life to Christ. But today, I'm going to take you at the message that is preached, that God already knows me and I'm not hiding anything from him. And today I'm willing to open up to him and surrender my all to him. Nobody's going to embarrass you. Everyone else has raised their hand and it's went straight down. It's going to be the same thing for you. But if that's you today and you say, today's the day, I want to know that God knows me and I know him because I want to make him my Lord and Savior. If that's you, can I see your hand right where you are? Could you hold it up high today and join those many that have already surrendered to Christ today? Thank you. Are there others? I'm looking around the room today and some up in our balcony. Are there any here else today that would say, today's the day. I want to make things right with Jesus Christ. Thank you. Are there others? In Jesus' name. You see, we're not embarrassing anybody, but this is their moment between them and God. We're about to pray. Who will join with these? Is there another? Quickly, quickly today. This is your moment. This is your day. Thank you. All right, I want you to join hands with someone near you. I'm going to quote this verse almost every single service. I feel like I can quote it in my sleep, and I'm hoping you're getting it. The Bible says that if we confess Jesus Christ as Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we would be born again. We're going to pray a prayer of confession with these that have raised their hand to find Christ today. Then I'm going to pray for the rest of you. And I believe that God's going to change all of our lives today. Let's pray this prayer of faith with these in Jesus' name. Jesus, by faith, I believe your promises. Heavenly Father, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. You see my past, my present, and my future. I give it all to you in Jesus' name. I repent. I want to be changed. Wash me clean. Make me new. In Jesus' name, from this moment forward, God is my Father. Heaven is my home. Jesus is my Savior. 
I believe he came for me, he died for me, and now he lives for me. today's word from Pastor Don Allen to help you get real with God, fall in love with Him all over again, and live out your destiny now. To learn more about our pastor and the ministry of the church at War Hill, join us online at warhill.com. Then join us in worship at one of our North Georgia locations. Service times are Sundays at 815, 930, and 11 a.m., where you will find Real Love Now.